know, we face intense pressure in this world to succeed, to be perfect, to put on that perfect show. And sometimes we feel that even on Sunday mornings, and then God does something to remind us we're anything but perfect. That's right. We are loved. And that's the end of my sermon. (laughs) You know, we feel this pressure to, to be better, to be smarter, stronger, more beautiful, measure up to some standard in this world. Turn on those home makeover shows and then you start looking around your house and you go, hmm, could do better. See a news story about somebody who's made it in their field or an athlete and you look at your own life and you say, hmm, could do better. We idolize people at times that seem to have reached this level of perfection, whether it's an athlete or a movie star or business people that are really, really successful And we see their lives from a distance, or we hear stories about them, or we see them on the screen, and we think, man, they're so amazing. Look at what they've reached. Or maybe you know someone in your life, and you just think, they're so perfect. I wish I could be more like them. But the pressure to be perfect has a real dark side. I found a study that says one in three professional athletes struggle with some sort of mental health crisis on an ongoing basis. News reports often show us celebrities who have committed suicide. And we look at these things and we think if, if we have this picture of perfect that our world is holding up and these people seem to at least be close, if not there, and they're not happy and they're not satisfied or they're miserable, what Hope is there for us. And what I want to talk about today is the problem that we have with perfection. This mistaken notion of perfection. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 26. And in this passage, Jesus has two interactions. One moves very quickly, and it's this beautiful picture of Jesus welcoming little children, that he can come, or that they can come to him and he can bless them. The second scene kind of provides a contrast where he welcomed the seemingly insignificant little children. He has this conversation with a rich young man who ends up going away sad and not accepting Jesus. So let's look at this passage this morning and get to the heart of what is the real problem with our idea of perfection. Let's start with the little children, verses 13 through 15. Jesus has used this idea of being like children another time in the book of Matthew. In chapter 18, verse 3, he brings a child to stand among his disciples, his followers, his students, and he says, you need to be like this child. And we looked at that passage, and Jesus isn't necessarily saying in that passage you need to be pure and holy. Those things might be true, but that's not the point that he's making in being like little children. What he's saying is you need to quit trying to be so amazing and so awesome. Because in their culture, children were not held up as the most important people. They were loved, they were cherished, definitely, but they were considered kind of the lower rung of society. And that conversation followed the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, how do we be the greatest? And Jesus says, you want to be great? Be like a little kid. Don't try to be great. Stop trying to be great. 
And, and I read these passages and I think, man, what a blessing these disciples had to be taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, this must have been so amazing. If we could have been there, we would have learned. Because surely they learned their lesson when Jesus said these things. No. And neither do we. So let's look at the passage. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now remember, again, we have to enter into their culture. Children were loved and cherished, but were considered not that important. And so here's Jesus. The disciples are really starting to catch on. This is a big deal. He's got a really important mission. He's a really important guy. And he's going from town to town and crowds are starting to follow him. He's doing these amazing teachings, amazing miracles. But there was a tradition in that day that that prominent rabbis would bless little children. And so families would bring their kids to the rabbi and say, put your hand on them, pray over my child and bless them. And so they were bringing children to Jesus. But the disciples made a decision on their own that the kids weren't important enough. And here's where we get a glimpse of just how wrong at times the closest followers of Jesus Christ were. They didn't get it. When he said, be like the little children, at the very least, he was saying, hey, I really care for little kids. They should not have told the parents of these kids to go away. They think that they're helping Jesus to do what's best, but instead they're really missing the point. And so Jesus says, welcome the little children. Let them come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. These that the disciples just said, oh, Jesus is too busy for them. These that the disciples looked at and said, they're really not as important right now as what's going on. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't understand the priorities of my father's kingdom. That kingdom belongs to people like these. Now, again, don't miss the point. There's really two layers here. Jesus loves kids. God loves kids. We can go to a passage like this and talk about the love that our heavenly father has for children. But don't stop there. Because he says, those like these, those who come to him like little children, belong to the kingdom of heaven. Those that completely trust him, that aren't trying to look out for themselves and just get ahead in life, but simply come and say, Father, I need you. Those are the ones that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. God's kingdom has completely different standards than our kingdom. We are to be like children. Completely trusting, following no matter what, willing to be considered unimportant and unimpressive. And this might seem obvious, I think, even welcome in our world, that that we need that humility, we need that attitude, certainly in the church. And yet, I think as we look at our world, what we see is that we mess this up completely over and over and over again. And sometimes in scripture, we get a glimpse into other people like us. People whose actions seem to be in the right place, whose words seem to be in the right place, and yet 
Jesus cuts right to their heart, and we realize their heart was not in the right place. And that's exactly what the rest of this chapter is about. You see, a young man comes to Jesus, and it seems like he has a perfect plan. I think if I asked you this morning, how many of you want to be good people? We'd probably all say yes. Do we want to be successful? Sure. Important? Well, but we look at the standards of our world, and it's like our lives are measured by that standard, that ruler, that yardstick of perfection. Now, we as Christians sometimes put on more religious words. We want to be good Christians. We want to look good in church. We want to serve. We want to give. We want to be a good example of the gospel. And that's good and that's true. But what happens is we start writing these things down like a scorecard. If I can just meet these standards, my standard of perfection or goodness, if I can just measure up, then I must be doing okay. And here we meet a man who thought he was on the right track. If we skip ahead to verse 22, we learn an important fact about him. He was very wealthy. Very wealthy. Now, again, it helps to understand in their culture, they perceived that wealth was a blessing from God. So if a man was wealthy, it must mean that God approved of his life. That's going to be important later on when the disciples ask a question. So keep that in the back of your mind. We also see that this man is a generally good man. He's going to talk about keeping the law. And Jesus never challenges him that he didn't keep the law. He seems to be a good, religious, Jewish man who has been successful in his life. And by all outward appearances, God has richly blessed him. He's doing great. He's a seemingly perfect man with a seemingly perfect plan. Let's see what that plan was. Look at verse 16. Says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He addresses Jesus as a teacher, which there's a clue right there. A teacher like any other teacher. Just another good teacher. Just another smart guy with a lot of wisdom to pass on. And this man just wants to glean some of that wisdom. There's no hint of Messiah. There's no hint of Savior. There's certainly no hint of God and the Son of God. It's just a good teacher as he looks at Jesus. And what's he looking for? His plan is to find that good thing that he must do to earn eternal life. Now, see, he was doing well. He thought he was on the right track. But they had this mentality, and I think many people still struggle with it today. If I could find that one really good, really religious thing that would make me righteous, then I could know for certain I was going to heaven. I'd be set. And that's what he's looking for. I just want to know that little bit extra that I'm going to need. And look at how Jesus responds. And I want us to be surprised by this. We are Protestant Christians. We believe the Bible teaches very clearly that that salvation is by grace through faith. We cannot earn it. And yet look at what Jesus, the Son of God, says to this man. Verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter into eternal life, or if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. 
Whoa, Jesus. Theology is a little bit off there. We know from Scripture no one can keep the commandments and be perfect. Understand what Jesus is doing as a, not just a good rabbi, but an excellent rabbi. He's entering into this guy's way of thinking. He's talking the language that this guy is using. He's going to come back to the true gospel, but he doesn't just argue with this man out front. He gets into the ring with him according to his rules, his ideas, and he says, okay, let's look at it from your perspective. And he starts off by challenging something interesting. Why do you ask me what is good? And he says, only God is good. So right away, he's challenging this guy's standard of perfection. He says, your definition of goodness is already skewed because you think you can be good. You think that some common rabbi can be good because that's how the guy looks at Jesus. He says, but there's only one who is truly good, and that's God. And then he says, keep the commandments. See, this guy's looking for what's that one really good thing. And Jesus says, well, just go back to what you already know. Don't you know these things? Shouldn't you just keep the commandments that God has already given you? Jesus is going to begin to turn this man's idea of goodness and perfection upside down. And he starts with where this man is at, thinking that if he can just do the right thing, the good thing, he can get into heaven. But this raises a question. Which commandments? And this really shows a bit of this guy's heart. Look at verses 18 to 20. Which ones, he inquired, Jesus replied, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? See, he's sitting in judgment on God's commands, saying, I'm trying to be good. Which ones should I really focus on? And Jesus picks five out of the top ten. Doesn't seem to be any particular order here, but he chooses five. And he's really getting to this man's heart issue. If you remember back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus talked about some of these commands from the Old Testament. And he used this idea of murder and he said, if you have hated someone, it's as if you have murdered them in your heart. See, Jesus is already taking us past the external command and saying, you need to deal with your own heart, your motivation. Sin starts here before it ever gets out here. He says, so he's also talked about adultery. He said, if you lusted after someone, it is as if you committed adultery in your heart. Jesus is getting to this man's heart issue. He thinks he's good enough. He thinks he's kept them all perfect, but Jesus has already laid out. You've got to go deeper than just the outward commands. And look at his response. Verse 20, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? He thinks he's done well enough. He's kept the law pretty good. He's been a really good boy. He's been fairly religious, done the right things. Just wants that little bit extra. I want to pick apart this guy's assumptions. Because while maybe we don't understand with trying to keep the Old Testament commandments, I think we can understand with trying to meet up with some measure of perfection, whether it's religious or secular or otherwise. This guy believes that he can make himself perfect. That salvation, eternal life, is achieved by working hard enough. 
And that's what he's trying to get to. How do I work hard enough? He thinks that he can do this. Whatever that standard is, he believes he is good enough to reach it. He just needs a little bit more information. He believes he's already doing really well. All these I've kept. All those really important commands, teacher, that you just said, oh, I've done great with all of those. I've checked them off one after another and have kept the commands. I said before that he is very wealthy. We see that in verse 22. And again, in his mind, it's, I'm already blessed by God. I must be doing something right. Surely, because I'm so wealthy, things are going well, and God loves me and is blessing me. He has a seemingly perfect plan that seems to have worked quite well for him. He's a guy that anybody in their culture would have looked at and said, man, that guy, he's there. If I could just be more like him, a little bit better, a little bit more like him, I could be there too. There's just one slight problem to his seemingly perfect plan. He's missed the whole point completely. Look at verses 21 to 26. And before I read that, there's a famous quote says, we may spend our whole life climbing the ladder of success only to find when we get to the top that our ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. That's exactly what this man's going to be challenged with. And quite frankly, it's what each and every one of us need to be challenged with. What is our ladder of success? And what is the wall that we've leaned it against thinking if I could just get there, I'd be good. And Jesus is about to point out exactly what's wrong with this man's way of thinking. Verses 21 and 22, Jesus answered, if you, want, <clears throat> if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He gets right to his heart condition. This man is willing to do one more thing. Several more things. Anything to be good. To add on to what he's already done that is so good in his mind. And yet Jesus challenges three core things. The first challenge is go sell your possessions. So this man trusted in what he had. His wealth, his riches to him were a sign of the blessing of the Lord. He was trusting in those more than trusting in God. His wealth had caused him to have the dangerous heart condition of self-reliance. I've got this. I can take care of it. I just need a little bit more information. The second challenge that Jesus gives him is to give to the poor. This man was living for himself. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you need to start thinking about others. Yes, God has blessed you, but you've just kept it for yourself. You've not thought about other people. He has the dangerous heart condition of selfishness. The third challenge that Jesus gives, he says, and you will have treasure in heaven. This man's priorities, his his treasure, they're all in the wrong place. He's tried to be good here. He's tried to store up possessions here. And yet Jesus is saying eternal life, the kingdom of heaven is so much greater and so much more important. This man has the dangerous heart condition of being consumed 
with worldly treasures. And then Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Then come and follow me. This man that was looking for what he could do, thinking he had it all together and was self-sufficient, Jesus says, leave it all behind and follow Jesus. You see, at the heart of all the commands, there was something that this guy had missed. Underneath the entirety of the law of the Old Testament, all the do this and don't do this is fundamentally a trust that God is God and that you will trust him and you will follow him. If you keep the commandments without any trust in God, the commandments are meaningless and useless. This guy came to Jesus thinking, I just want to be better, and you're a good teacher that can tell me how to be better. And Jesus turns that on his head, its head and he says, no, no, you need less of you and more of me. Leave behind what you have and follow me. See, at this point, Jesus is no longer just a good teacher. He's the Messiah and the Son of God, and he's telling this man to follow him because what he could have in Jesus far surpasses and outweighs whatever he could have in this world. Come, follow me. And this man's response really shows his heart. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Sometimes I've heard people say this just shows the fact that he was rich, shows that he had oppressed others. That that was really his heart condition. He had been oppressive and that's how he had gained worldly wealth. And people use this to talk about he shouldn't have done that. We could go to many, many scriptures to talk about you shouldn't do that. Nowhere in here does it talk about how he got his wealth. Nowhere. By all outward indications, this guy really was a pretty good guy. He went away sad because he had to be forced to choose between his way and God's way, and he couldn't let go of his way. And you know, we struggle with the same thing over and over again. And it's not just a one-time decision. Surely we have to leave behind our way of doing things and follow Christ. But then we wake up the next day and we need to be careful we don't just take back up our way of doing things. Are we going to keep on following Christ? Keep on trusting him? Isn't it interesting that Jesus welcomes the seemingly unimportant and significant little children? But this man goes away sad. Because he was so full of himself and wrapped up in his idea of perfection. And he couldn't let it go. Jesus takes this as a teaching opportunity. And he always does this. He turns to his disciples to teach them, to use this example. And look at verses 23 and 24. He says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, the son of God, is pointing out an important truth here. A truth that this man needed to learn and he could not accept. And if I could be so bold, something we desperately need to learn today, and that is there is an inherent danger in wealth. There is a danger in wealth. Wealth causes us to be self-sufficient. It causes us so often to think we're good, we could just try a little bit better, or if I just had a little bit more money, I'd be good. There is a danger in wealth. To put it another way, there is something about worldly wealth that makes it extremely difficult to accept the offer of salvation. 
Because wealth tends to lead to trusting in self, and salvation starts with trusting in Jesus. And those two things so often are at odds. Okay, well, maybe it's a little difficult to be wealthy and accept Jesus, but surely there's a way around that. Surely we can get through that, but look at verse 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I've heard numerous teachers over the years say, well, there was a gate in Jerusalem and it was really small. And camels had to come, but they had to hunker down to get through it. There is no historical evidence that that gate has ever existed, period. It is not true. Jesus' point here is not, it's really hard. The word picture he's using is, it is impossible. It is impossible for a wealthy person in their own idea, according to their own standard of perfection, to be good enough to ever get into the kingdom of heaven. Not hard, impossible. He's talking about real camels and real needles and real eyes of needles. I'm no genius, but the physics does not work. You can't get the camel through the eye of the needle. It doesn't matter how good your system is. It doesn't matter how good your plan is. It doesn't matter how strong your effort is. You're not getting the camel to go through the eye of the needle. And this is Jesus's point. We cannot get to heaven the way this man thinks and the way this man is trying. And so often worldly wealth is part of that fuel that makes us think we've got this. If we could just be blessed a little bit more by God, we've got this. I don't want to miss the fact. As modern Christians living in what is conceivably the most wealthy country in the world, if not throughout history, we need to take this serious. We need to be very careful. Now, Jesus is not saying to everybody, you just should be poor and then you'll be more righteous. That just turns it around and has another system of perfection that we can't attain. But we need to understand that we've got to be careful with the blessings, yes, that God gives us, but that we don't start looking at the blessings and stop looking at the God who gives and trusting him and him alone. I also want to point out, there is a huge movement in the world today that says God's desire is for you to be wealthy and successful, and he just wants to bless you. And these plastic preachers with their plastic grins and Bibles that are left unopened and unread are making millions of dollars off of that lie. And this one verse pulls the rug out from all of them. It's a lie. God's will is so much better than for you to be blessed and wealthy and successful in this world. Jesus says you will have treasure in heaven. We're going to look more next week at what treasure in heaven really looks like. But don't believe the lie that God wants you to have your best life now and just bless you now in this world. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the disciples in verse 25 are astonished. When they heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Again, understand their mindset. A wealthy man must have been blessed by God. He should be really good. This is a good man who is also a wealthy man. If he can't get into heaven, what hope do the rest of us have? That's at the heart of their question here. And look at what Jesus says. Listen to the heart of the gospel in chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. You want to keep trying hard? It's impossible. You think you can be good enough? It's impossible. You think you can earn your way into heaven? It's impossible. You think wealth will ever lead to your happiness? It's impossible. With man, this is impossible. We can't make ourselves perfect because we're not good enough in the first place and our idea of perfection is wrong to begin with. We can't do it. But here's the gospel. With God, all things are possible. The message of the gospel is that you can't save yourself, so God sent his son to save you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were dead in our sins, Christ came to die in our place to pay the price for us. Through the grace and mercy of our God, we are lifted up. We who are worth nothing and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. God says, you can't save yourself. I will save you. That's the gospel of grace. And I believe that as strongly as Jesus is warning against worldly wealth, don't miss the grace and the power of God's grace here. Jesus is saying, even that guy, as messed up as he is, God can change his heart. Whatever your past here, as messed up as you may be, whatever you're holding on to, as messed up as it may be, God can change your heart. You need to start with the idea, with me this is impossible. But with God, it's completely possible. So let me ask you this morning, what's your ladder leaning against? We all have these subtle pictures of perfection. These standards, they change throughout our life. They're different from cultures to culture. They're different in socioeconomic standards. But we all have this picture of a checklist, if I could just get there, I'd be happy. What's your ladder leaning up against? Are you trying this morning to just get one rung higher? Maybe I'll never get there, but if I can just get a little closer. The problem with perfect is we can't do it. And so what we do in our society is we just change the wall. We make the ladder easier. We rewrite some of the rules and just say, well, this will just make it easier. It's just a different list of standards. And it's still impossible to find fulfillment. The disciples are actually on the right track. Who can be saved? And we need to let Jesus answer that question. Not the world. Not our culture. Not our government. Not our society. Certainly not our wealth or our riches. The answer to the question is, with man, it is impossible, but God can do it. And he has already done it through giving his son, Jesus Christ. 
This is the problem with perfect. It's the wrong ladder. It's the wrong wall. It's the wrong way to climb. And even if theoretically you could get to the top, you would be so disappointed. Listen to the testimony of those that have gotten there and find that they're still incredibly unhappy. But Jesus says, follow me and I'll give you something so much better. And next week we're going to look at what treasures in heaven are and the incredible hope that we have through what God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God's sermons like this are hard. Because like so often when your son speaks in your word and when your spirit applies these truths to our heart, we need to be challenged. And God, we have held on to things that we should not hold on to. We have tried to do things on our own and we say so often we're doing them for you. But often it's just done out of this standard of perfection that we've built up. God, I pray that each and every day we would wake up and say, God, I can't, but you can. Father, our perfection will always fall short, but your perfection is so far greater than anything we could ask or imagine. And in Christ, you take us from our ladder and our feeble building that is crumbling and falling apart, and you set us at your right hand in your presence in your kingdom forever and ever. And God, I pray as modern American people, and you have blessed our country in so many ways, but history records that your physical blessings in this world can often take a place in our heart that causes it to be difficult to trust you. And Father, I believe that's true in our culture today. We have become self-sufficient and turned away from you. But I think it's equally true even in churches and among us as Christians, and we all struggle with it. And so, God, I pray that like this man had this encounter with Jesus, may you encounter us through the power of your word and challenge us where we need to be challenged. Challenge us with these things that we've put on the throne of our life that need to be kicked off so that your son can have his rightful place in our life. And help us always to be grateful and to remember that with man, these things are impossible. But through your grace and your mercy and the salvation you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, it is possible. And you provide that salvation to us through the gospel. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.